Welcome to The Things We Say. I'm Sheldon. And I'm Nate. This is a topical podcast where the topics are chosen at random. Sometimes they will be profound, and sometimes they will be stupid. But no matter what, we have a lot to say about them. We are known for the things we do. We become the things we think. We live the things we believe. These are the things we say. back on the things we say i'm sheldon and i'm nate and we have special guests on the podcast tonight so special silver screen biases <laughs> have joined us so you guys go ahead and introduce yourselves uh, this is jeff this is nelson yes <laughs> every week we get together now that's, that's, wait, that's my show <laughs> our show the, jeff's show the, i'm there too the show the show what do you guys do on silver screen biases well, uh, once a week, Jeff and I sit down and review world claim and truth. Uh, no, no, truth claims and <laughs> worldview and biases yep. in uh, in critically acclaimed movies. We're working our way through the IMDb Top 250, which is a constantly changing list, which makes it a little bit of a, a, a challenge. And we regularly have guests, including but not limited to. Uh, Nate and Shelton. Yes. Yeah, that's true. If it was including and limited to, <laughs> Shelton's <laughs> actually been our first returning guest. Yes. Yeah, that's true. There so. we go. Yeah, and he returned like two weeks later. <laughs> <laughs> I returned. He actually didn't leave my house for two. Yeah. Weeks. <laughs> it was a real problem. He just stayed. <laughs> Jeff, do you want to give some of your own introduction to yourself <sighs> instead of having to make Nelson always? No, do yeah, that absolutely. So, uh, I'm Jeff. Um, co. Host. host of yeah, there it co-person? is. Yeah. yeah, co co um co the man inhabitant of uh, Silver Screen Biases. No, um, Nelson and I just we love movies. We um we love talking about stuff. We're both dads, both Christians, both anarchists. Uh, nope. Um, Nelson, you <laughs> haven't made him an anarchist yet. We have I'm way more movies it. to get through before I. You know, that's going to be at least two on our 250th episode. We're going to reveal that this whole time. I've actually been libertarian. <laughs> I was um, a socialist. <laughs> jokes on you. No, I just we just we love seeing what movies have are trying to say and just evaluating our own lives and how it applies to us. And some of them don't apply at all. Some yeah. of them apply a lot more than we thought they did. Yeah. Um, and it's just it's a beautiful thing to take the things that we expose ourselves to and expose other people. Expose other people. To we, them. we we expose, expose ourselves, ourselves to other people. To people. <laughs> Every week. Well, you guys well, represent yourself so well. It's actually interesting, though, that you mentioned that because I realized one of the things that I talked about just before we started the podcast was that I'm an internal processor, but it does not appear that I'm an internal processor because I think about everything all the time. And so when you ask me a question, generally I've already thought about what my response would be sure. to said question. If I ever don't have something to say right away, it's because it's never occurred to me and it's going to take me a, a minute. You, know, you see the little wheel of death while my brain reboots, you yeah. know? Um, but it was very interesting when, when we were talking about, because we did uh, Return of the Jedi. That's yes. right. And well, there were... The three of us did. Yes. Uh, Sheldon, <laughs> yeah. Sheldon did a different movie. We I did it too. I just <laughs> Sheldon, Sheldon was in the right universe. <laughs> yeah. We'll give him that. Right, right decade even. Right, yeah, that's right. <laughs> and, but, but I realized there were all kinds of things that I thought about the Star Wars franchise and that I thought specifically about Return of the Jedi that had never occurred to me. Until we were talking about it. And I was like, right. obviously, I've thought this thing, so this is my opinion. I've had it. But it, it didn't occur to me that I thought about it that deeply. So it was really interesting. I, I learned something about myself doing that, that podcast, and I was very entertained by it. Yeah. Jeff and I are both internal processors. We like to 
No. Yeah. That, this Here you is go. Actually, Speaking for Jeff. No, <laughs> this is really actually a great example of what I was about to say. So I do the editing for our podcast. Yes. Uh, and, and we're pretty edit heavy. I, I, I strip out a lot of content because we record like yeah. two, sometimes three hours of content. And I strip, strip away the fluff. Yeah. And I strip, light, strip away a lot of the ums and ahs and stuttering and, and us we don't che- do any of that. chewing on our words. <laughs> and I know you guys just go raw, uh, unvarnished. Yes. Um, what, Sheldon? <laughs> Nothing. No, I'm okay. But Nelson's anyway. just trying to push the limits of how much we will or will not edit an episode. <laughs> That's what he's trying to anyway, do. Anyway, because Jeff and I are both kind of internal processors, oftentimes we'll get halfway into a sentence and we'll be like, you know what? Give me a second. I got to think through this. Yeah. Uh, and so we oh, catch ourselves doing that a lot. Yeah. 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 And so I have to empty it, uh, empty out, edit out a lot of empty space Ooh, of right. us yeah. thinking it through first before we say that. And, and there's some things we discussed that are like pretty, like some things not relevant at all. Yeah. Say we, like, but there are some things that we'll come into contact with or like discussion with. And we're like, wait, I got to make sure I don't put myself in a position of mm-hmm. like criminalizing for like, like saying something that like it's like we we do kind of we'll pause we've allegedly done a we'll lot of crime back. correct <laughs> but but yeah so it's there's a yeah see we we have the unique thing of sheldon being an external processor and me being an internal one yeah which most people witnessing our discussions on here or just our interactions in life or the conclusions that we have both come to right would not think that we process differently mm-hmm. because our conclusions are very much the same. We got there differently. My wife was an internal processor, but after being married as long as we have been, like <laughs> at, at 18 years, it's it, she's an external processor, and we process together. So yeah. that, I'm an internal processor who can fake it, apparently. <laughs> there you go. I can fake my way in normal, normal humanity so, as opposed to most internal processors. I know, I know that's... So, okay. Since we're all Christians here at the table, I wanted to ask one thing right off the start. Okay. Was like, what is your favorite experience been with communion? Ooh. I want to know. Because we all come from different backgrounds a little bit, but that is something that's common to the yeah, Christian experience. Yeah. So I know we're going to go a lot of different places in this podcast, but wow. I was like, this is where I wanted to go to start. Okay. That's not small. No, it's not. I see you all thinking, and I have an answer. Go for Go it. Go for it. I didn't want to be the first one because I'm a chatty Kathy, but I'm going to go ahead. <laughs> That's great. That's why you're here. Time. So uh, when I was living in a cult in Louisiana. <laughs> no, when I was in Louisiana. <laughs> we did an episode on this. <laughs> when I lived in Louisiana, the church that I went to most often there, uh, I can't remember the name of the church. It was in Moss Bluff, Louisiana. And they had uh, at the side of the main sanctuary a cross that every week had communion available. And so rather than doing communion the way I've seen it done in pretty much every church, which is sometimes they do it every Sunday, sometimes they do it once a a month, once a quarter, uh, and everybody does it together, it was communion is always available Sunday morning, Mm. and we encourage you to to go take part in it during uh, the music section of the worship service. Uh, And I've I've always thought that that was really... I I don't know how well that lines up with, like, like scripture and stuff, but, like, I've, I've always thought that, that was a really great way yeah. to approach communion. That's one of the ways we actually regularly do. I was just going to well. say that sounds terrible. I'm not yeah. sure why anybody would no. Yeah, no. <laughs> our, ch- no our, we church, do the same. our church does exactly We still the same do corporate thing. stuff as you right. said. Um, I'm going to give two answers if I can. It's uh, your podcast. Uh, it, yeah, but you know, it's but it's Sheldon's question. He's asking Sheldon, Sheldon for permission. Sheldon <laughs> gives the rules on this one. So, for me, there were there are two things. We would do a thing at Christmas for years. The last time we did it, we did 14 services in one day, and it was crazy. But we do this about 
30-minute um, family communion service at Christmas time. We'd have a table that was nicely set. It was a long table across the front of our old sanctuary. And you would come in X amount of people at a time. And it was called family communion in that families would come, but they'd also sit at the table with other families, other people from the church. Mm. And we would go through, there would be music, we'd go through the liturgy, and we would all take communion. And so it was in very small groups at a time when our, our church was growing a lot. Um, and so as a, as a child... And into my early teenage years, that was a really formative experience for me, that, that realization of the communal aspect of it. Um, as far as in, as an adult, um, we did, we used to do, I guess you could call it a conference. That's not a word I prefer, but it's the one I can think of at the moment, um, that used to be through Ashland Theological Seminary called Pastors of Excellence. And the idea mm-hmm. was we're going to bring pastors in from it was a completely interdenominational thing. Uh, they would have even had Catholic priests if the Catholic priests would have consented to coming, but they didn't. Uh, it was literally everything you could possibly imagine. Very liturgical, uh, very, very charismatic, and everything in between. Every race, every... Snakes? No snake handlers, no. no. I mean, we're uh, not West Virginia. No, so not still, everything, then. Still... Because <laughs> I can imagine a lot of things... Still like... orthodoxy. <laughs> still solid orthodoxy with what was going okay. on. But, but all of the branches of said orthodox uh, belief. And one time we had, I believe he was an Episcopalian. Uh, he only ate fish? Yes, yes. I believe he was an Episcopalian. And he did a very liturgical, you know, with vestments, the whole thing, communion service for all the pastors that were there. And it was, it was a very different experience, but it was very impactful for me. And, and it, it, it helped me form an even more solid view of, of the importance of communion as a communal act. Um, not just as I've thought of it before as like, well, it's a personal thing. It's like, no, 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 we are meant to do this together. And that's part of yeah. why, you know, we do it in the church. It's not just by ourselves or whatever. We try to do that together. Yeah. And so those were those were probably the most formative aspects of that for me. Absolutely. Without a doubt. Uh, I got two. I can, I'll give two, uh, if that's allowed. Yeah. Um, yeah. He set the rules. <laughs> uh, so the first one I think was would, would have been, this is... This was kind of something growing up, like I realized I was learning something else about as my vis- views of communion and what I believed grew as I saw my parents do stuff, my views expand stuff. So I remember going to a wedding as a kid and this, I don't know what bri- who the bride and groom were, but they did communion at their wedding. And I remember and I grew up at a church where I've, I had done communion before at this point. And so they do this stuff and my mom realizes very quickly that it's not grape juice in oh, yeah. wine glass. Yeah. And we didn't do that at the church. Did we they were. pass it down the row? Well, yeah, they pass it down the row, and I, I was cognitive enough to know that, like, okay, I take the glass, and like it was, it was still the individual glasses, like we weren't sharing glass, but it was even, it was pre-COVID, you know, like yeah. So, and so I, I went to go drink it. My mom and me swat it down because she realized right before I was about to drink that right. it was wine, and she's like, "Don't do that." So that was that. I think that was new to all the Reddick family. <laughs> so that was your traumatized experience right. with with that. And I was okay. like, oh. Communion can be wine. <laughs> nice. It Mommy and Daddy do communion all the time at home. So, so that, that was one realization. But this, the second time, um, I'm, I'm pretty sure it was, a, it was a missions trip back when I was in high school. And there was, I think, it, we, we had this impromptu moment of wanting to do communion. Mm. Yeah. And it was just it was just the simple aspect where it was more student-driven. It wasn't necessarily the leaders that were. Yeah. It wasn't part of the, the programming of what we were going to do that night as a group. Right. But we came together and realized, like, you know, we're going to do this as, and we didn't have the typical accoutrements. And so we just, we literally just got, like, saltines 
And I think we had like someone, had, we had some Coca-Cola or yeah. it's like, I just like, that was impactful just to see it driven by the students and just seeing like, yeah. it doesn't matter what the physical tangible edibles are. Like it's, it's, it's where your heart and your spirit yeah. is in that moment and just in what you're reflecting on. So, Interesting. So, so and, I, and, I would, are, and I would agree with that. I, yeah. I don't think I would be okay with going into a church and seeing them actually use uh, saltines and coke because I'm like, okay, right. you didn't prepare. Right. Like this is <laughs> indicative of a larger problem here. I saw here. you in D and G before service. But, uh, how, how far away from <laughs> how far away from bread and wine can you get where you're so okay? With, like if it was grape Fanta and Twinkies. <laughs> If, no, it's, if you're mean, sharing the Twinkies amongst <laughs> us, I don't know. But I think if you're in prison, like if you're in prison and you're offered you toilet wine and Twinkies, yeah. I don't know. I remember I mean, actually, I remember there, actually there reading an stories account. of yeah. martyrs, uh, of martyrs and, and Christians that have been in prison yeah. for their faith, where and they, they had to make do with yeah. whatever they or had. they literally had nothing. There's one account I read of, and they literally just touched nothing to their lips yeah. for that. And, and pantomimed it. And then the nothing turned to flesh in their stomach. That's right. That's right. You're thinking of Hook with Robin Williams. <laughs> I think... Oh, such, a great movie. Such, such a great movie. I think for me, again, it's probably two different ones. The first time I took communion in the Mennonite church, like that was very uh, impactful for me because we, we would do like preparation Sunday, the Sunday before, where it's like mm. you're supposed to think through, uh, make sure that you don't have anything against your brother, those kinds of things, um, and make sure you're approaching the table of the Lord in a worthy manner. Right. And then, Which so, I have massive respect for. I yeah. Really like and, that. and it's yeah. something that I've always kind of hung on to in the back mm-hmm. of my mind, and there is a confessional piece to my communion experience always, yeah. because I, it's one of those things that, that was pretty heavily taught, um, and, and in a good way. Um, and so for me, that was a, a solemn experience and really impactful to finally partake in something like that. And that would have been after I was baptized member of the church and yeah. all that. Um, the, the other one was during COVID, right as we all got sent home, it was right around Easter. And a friend of mine came to me and she said, you know, this is my family loves to get together and, and go to a church on Easter mm-hmm. and, and do the whole thing. Would you be able to like we want, we just want to have communion together on Good Friday. Cause yeah. Is there any way we can make that happen? And I'm like, yeah, I'm not sure because we're really not allowed to do anything right now at all, and uh, I I don't know that we can really gather. And so then we got talking about it a little more, and we're like, well, why doesn't everybody just we'll go to a parking lot, mm. and you bring your elements, and let's just sit on the hoods of our cars or stand in in a wide circle and just take communion. And it was honestly a very moving experience. Yeah. We showed up there. I didn't know most of the people in the group. And um, I prepared a little bit. And everybody had, I told everybody, bring the elements that you have. Yeah. And so everybody had their, their bread and wine, bread and juice, whatever they had. And we sang a few hymns. Um, and we took communion together. I read the passages. And um, I, I think that Jess took communion every week or more on her on our por- on front porch after that yeah. just wow. because of the communal nature of Christianity and finding a way to tie in with the global Christian body yeah. in a time where everybody was pulled apart right yeah. and i will never think of it in the same way yeah. so when i was young one of the things that was really brought to bear was looking back and remembering jesus's sacrifice 
For me today, there's three things at communion, and this is a mini sermon, but here you you're go. You're great. Go for there's, it. There's three things at that are I'm happening sorry, at communion. I already did church today. Huh? You're, you're looking. <laughs> <laughs> sorry for you. This is Sunday evening service. So looking looking back and remembering what Christ did is certainly an element of communion, but that whole um, remembering that we're a part of a Christian body that is joining together right. at the same moment, yeah. um, and and if not at the same moment. On a Sunday, any given Sunday, all the way around the world, Christians yeah, are yeah. gathering to to uh, celebrate the Lord's Supper together. And so it's it's a long, flat table. I, in my mind, it's a long, flat table that stretches all the way around the world. No. And we all sit at this table, and nobody's higher or lower. We're all under the blood and grace yeah. of Jesus. And so uh, for me, it's looking back. It is that present moment. But it's also future tense, and that's something that our church has done a good job of bringing out. Is like we are also looking forward to eating this. This this is a yeah. representation of the meal that we will eat with right. the Lamb in glory, and like we get to sit at His table that He's been planning this meal for a long time, and the yeah. wedding supper of the Lamb is right there. Yeah, and it's something that He taught us to do, and He's looking forward. He said, you know, I wouldn't drink the fruit of the wine of the vine again until I drink it with you in glory. And so like he's looking forward to it. We should be looking forward to it as well. And so I would say now today, all three of those things are really tied up for me in in communion. Um, But that first one, it was all about looking back. So anyway, that's, I, I wanted to pull some of that no, out. That's, that's great. And also just see if you guys were actually and, Christians. And I will no. say, I will say too, my, one of my favorite things to do is if I'm at a church, dead yet. if I'm at a church that's not my church, yes, doing corporate communion is the thing that will bond me with whoever's there right. immediately. Because it's that thing of like, this yeah. is the thing that unites us, regardless of style, regardless of yeah. anything else, right. liturgical, not, this is what unites us, which is why I get itchy about the idea of being at a Catholic mass and not going up and taking communion with everybody there. We've talked about that in a previous episode, so I won't go on about that too much. <laughs> I don't think it'd be likely you'd be denied communion, though. No, it's because it's an honor system. They basically, they don't know if I'm a Catholic or yeah. not because they don't know if I'm there, but they do ask you, you know, if you are not Catholic, please do not come. By their definition of what Catholic is, you are Catholic. Right, but also not. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. I, anyway, but that's that. Sheldon, while you were speaking, I had a, a thought. Yeah. <laughs> Are we ringing the bell every no, time no, I have no, a thought I'm now? Cause <laughs> you just said I had a thought, so I had to die. I, I had so many uh, punchlines while Sheldon was speaking that I was like, ooh, that's a bad time for that. Uh, no, this isn't a punchline, though. Um, so there's a lot of, of spectrums within within church culture, yeah, right? Yeah. Uh, Traditional, charismatic, uh, liturgical, modern, uh, large congregation, small congregation. And one that I've never really quite put my finger on it until you were talking about your Mennonite experience is joy. And, and it shouldn't be versus because this is both. And so it's a weird one in that one in that way. But joy versus solemnity. Mm-hmm. Yep. Both have huge place in the church culture. Right. And most churches do not balance them. Yeah. Because mm. it's very difficult. Right. To balance those. Right. Yeah. No, I agree. That's and, good. And uh, baptism was one of those things at our church that it was more solemn in the church that I grew up in. And it was like, a, it was, yeah, it was certainly a more solemn, holy moment. And you get to our church and we're like, we're celebrating new life. Yeah. Right. These are born again Christians. Yeah, this is yelling awesome. and clapping Let's and all go. kinds of things. It's you know? good. And, and, and I think that those are both appropriate. appropriate. Yeah. yeah. 
It, and, and that's I, I, it's something that I've never put, quite put my finger on before. Right. It's something that's bothered me before. Yeah. But I haven't been able to put my finger you on it until stop you were talking about your it. fingers on I, things. Well, <laughs> the thing <laughs> is, though, I think, get burnt. I think honestly that, that the church has, this sounds almost sacrilegious, the church has taken itself too seriously too often and feeling like we have to be solemn and everything. Because even I look at something even like Good Friday and remembering the death of Christ and remember his, remembering his suffering, I can't remember that separated from the fact that this is what redeemed me. Like, this is what has given me right. the right to come into the presence of God. And even though it was horrible, and I can look at that from the very, you know, fundamentalist view of like, oh, it was my sin that did this, and that's correct, I still can't help but look at that and like, this is an incredible act of love, and the joy that it instills in me and stirs up in me, like, I can't just be solemn at that. Like, right. I have moments, like, I didn't go watch The Passion of the Christ when it came out and sit there going, like, yeah, this is awesome. Like, I had <laughs> I had things that I felt and that I experienced, but I came out of that thinking... The only guy in the audience cheering. Yeah, that's right, that's right. <laughs> but, I came, but I came out of that thinking, like, this... It, it was joyful. It was heavy, yeah. but it was still joyful. That's why Mel Gibson's doing the sequel. I'm so... I'm so all I can ever think Price of... Everyone too. can be excited All I can movie, ever yeah. think of is the Family Guy episode <laughs> yeah. with that. That's just... Oh, it's so ridiculous. Yeah, use one of these. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, yeah, but yeah, I mean, there is, there is a spectrum there for sure. Yeah, and that's that. And is there are moments. I, I, I think about. it's. I think it's, it's just moments, seasons, and times. Where are you yeah. at as a person? Yeah. I don't think it's like we shall now all be corporately sad together yeah. about. And it's like no, like where are you at in your journey? Corporate that's going sadness to is a good that. name for an album, though. That is <laughs> corporate sadness. It sounds like a, a second postal service. Uh, album, actually. <laughs> Sadness. Uh, anyway, but that's not why we're here. That's not why. That we're is here. not why we're here. Why Otherwise, are we, we here? We would that not is have my side. <laughs> yeah. Why am I here? That is the introduction. So, so here's the big thing I wanted to talk about. Uh, I already told you, and I wanted to talk about this regardless. Uh, but having you guys here, I especially want to talk about it, given what your podcast is, and that is, I want to talk about why do movies suck now? Like, why do movies suck now? Now, I know this is a gross. Overstatement. Yeah. There are still gross, yeah. great movies. There are all these <laughs> things. I am very well aware of that. However, one of the things that I will give a, 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 a great example of right now is the current Indiana Jones film that is out as we speak yeah. that conservatively has spent $250 million to make, probably more like 400 or up. Right. I've actually heard as high as nine, $900 million to make. Has are it Lucas even? and Spill Not even Spielberg? broken even yet. Okay. Both involved with it? Sp Spielberg has not been involved with it. Nobody's involved with it except Kathleen Kennedy. <clears throat> so Lucas um, is not? Lucas is not. No. Nobody's involved other than they created the character. No. The only saving grace is that John Williams is still doing the, the soundtrack, Correct. which will save almost anything. So the anything. score will be and good. I believe it's his, it was his last score. Yes. He did. Yeah, he said he's done he said after he's done this. Now. But here's my he's thing. He's done with Indiana Jones that is he's done, done he's period. He's, he's, he's retired. He's retired. Yeah. Oh, what a he's awful like way to go out. It's true. Although people will still buy that soundtrack and be happy about it. But here's my thing. Or else. They have made this bloated feature that has cost that was the, my nickname the basic school. economy of a small country. <laughs> the basic economy of a small country to produce something that is not doing well. That people are not loving. Okay? Whereas you look at Raiders of the Lost Ark was made on a $15 million budget. Yeah. And made... Nearly four hundred million dollars. Fourth at box of July office. weekend, Indiana Jones <clears throat> lost in ticket sales to Sound of Freedom. Right, right, yeah. which is a whole thing right now. So, but my point being, what has happened between when we were growing up and you had these filmmakers that were creating these incredible things, 
<clears throat> that nobody had ever seen before to now where even things like Marvel that were a big deal when we were younger have just become these bloated parodies of themselves that are just not good. People will pay money to go see them, but it's almost like they don't know why. So I'm looking at this going like, why do movies suck now? Why do we not have these revolutionary blockbuster things that happen anymore? And they're just kind of this eh, now. Like, why is that? Something that doesn't play out a lot on our show, but it plays out in our conversations privately. Yeah. And it's actually one of the big reasons that we decided to do a show together is Jeff and I are both movie likers. We watch a lot of movies. We love watching movies. I tend to be much quicker to be very critical of a movie than Jeff does. Yeah. My, my whole thing is like, did I leave entertained? So yeah. Jeff, I want like, you to, I'm going to, I'm going to leave so, you to take this question first. And I guess my first question is, do you agree that, Movies suck now, or do you not? And this is not an argument. I'm. I want everybody's thoughts. Man, that it. I can't blanketly say no or yes. I agree with you because mm -hmm. I can think of some stinkers. Yeah, like I haven't seen Indiana Jones yet, so like, so that one for I can't really do. Like, I I do know some people were up in arms about the whole like, the way it ended. I'm like, every movie has had science fiction elements of it. So right. Like, so like, get past it. Like, right. So yeah. So like, but I have not seen it to know my opinions on that specifically, but like, so, okay. The biggest one for me, I guess I, I can throw down that I think is not great. The avatar series. Yeah. I don't Now you're talking that you're talking the movies, the James Cameron films. Correct. Yeah. I'm not saying they're horrible. I'm just saying they are way overhyped for what they are. I would agree. And when I've seen the, when I went and saw the first one, I, I left disappointed because everyone, People were more excited to talk about it than they were to actually go watch it. Yeah. And I finally watched it. I was like, this is this is not It's bad. Dances with mo Wolves with right. Smurfs. Right. It's not bad, <laughs> but like this is not. So just. But then again, but I was entertained. So I still left like, okay, like it, yeah. it did what it was supposed to. Right. Like you go to school to be educated. I go to a movie to be entertained. Right. I left entertained. Right. I didn't leave angry. I didn't leave mad. I just left like underwhelmed right it's so like i haven't had too many experiences with modern <laughs> cinema where i've thought that movie sucked i'm trying to think of one well and and I'll, while you're thinking Go ahead. avatar for me was an incredible experience yeah. that after the fact when i tried to watch it at home yeah. i'm like no this actually sucks like there's right. no story here right. they didn't even develop everything well they used the phrase unobtainium for a thing. I mean, it's like that that should not have made it right. past the editing process. Right. But I saw it in IMAX 3D. Right. And which the, is the way it was supposed, it was to, be supposed to be seen. Correct. And the experience of that, I I was one of those people that walked out with that slight depression because it was wintertime and I'm going from right. the world of Pandora, literally being immersed in it, to, to going out to Antarctica. dingy, nasty Ohio yeah. winter. And I'm like, ugh. Like that was my response to reality after experiencing that. That did not last. It was it was the spectacle and the experience of it. And to that end, I look at that and go, yeah. "This was an incredible movie because of what it accomplished." Right. right. I don't. I, I don't think the. But I don't think the writing was the point. No. no. And, 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 and with you, both you, Avatar, with, with with both the Avatar movies so far, they are triumphs of innovation in CGI. Hundred yeah. percent. And I'm just going to apologize to the audience right now. You can hear my children doing something, but that's just what we Life's do. It's happening. fine. So, but yeah, I'll piggyback on. They're not good movies, right? Depending, well, depending on how you measure a good movie, yeah. they were entertaining though. They're entertaining and they're incredible innovations in CGI. Yeah, and James Cameron, like, he's a mastermind. He's a stuff. continuing like, yeah. innovator. Right. I I appreciate. That. I put like, him up there with with your 
old school Spielbergs and some yeah. of those guys. No, he's, like he's brilliant. Like yeah. it's it's not a cri- criticism on him. It's just like that's probably been the last movie that I still have opinions about. Where I'm like, like that's the one I am the most pessimistic about. I yeah. guess. Every other movie I've seen, I'll be like, except for some, some of the ones we've watched for our podcast, but those are older. Right. Clockwork opinion- Orange. Right. We it's love. Like, I, I, still never, I think I speak for both of us. I've when still I say. never sat and watched that movie through end to end. I've seen all of it. Yeah, but I've never watched it. It's end a lot. I haven't watched because so it's, and I, it's, and, a, it's and, hard to watch. Before I give it to someone else, like I was, I've been more entertained by some of the more modern movies I've watched recently than I have some of the older ones. Though. So yeah. Like, so in my recent viewings, I've enjoyed a lot of modern cinema. Yeah. So like I, I, I guess I don't, I don't necessarily agree with you. I will say a lot yeah. of it's redundant. Yeah, there is there is some tropes that they people just need to get over, but like, I, I think we're in an interesting time cinematically wise. Like, I'm gonna go see Oppenheimer next week. Yeah, like that movie's if it doesn't blow my mind, I'll be disappointed. I'll watch anything that like, no one does. I want to make yeah. a point of how Jeff said I'm going and not we're going because <clears throat> originally it was we and <laughs> made plans without me. So Sheldon, what do you th- <laughs> what do you think? I don't know. I enjoyed the machine movie that we watched. I did enjoy that. that. Was a modern, Which was this? Burt Kreischer's The Machine. Uh, uh, I'm the Machine movie. I'm not movie. familiar with him. Oh <laughs> my goodness. <laughs> and it was. We were delighted the whole time. It, it was, was hilarious. Everything that I thought it was going to be. And parents, and this is not an endorsement. No. Don't send your teenagers or rent this. I for think your I teenagers. speak for all of us when I say this is something that all families should go to see together. <laughs> <Stop>. <laughs> It, it, it was the most like guy movie experience. But, but once again, I'll point to that movie and go, nobody expected that movie to do well. No. It was not on anyone's radar. It was a sleeper, and it was it was wonderful, and people loved it. People flocked to it. It did really well for what it was. Yeah. And, and I will say, I think if you tried some of the things that were done in the 80s and 90s that we look back on so fondly, yeah. if you tried them today, I, I think... Some of it just flops. Yeah, because we're expecting something different today than. But I think what what was being given. I think for me that gets to the core of the problem. They were willing to try things. Right. Yeah. Try something new. Try something innovative. I mean, something like the freaking Predator movies, where you don't even know what's going on until halfway through <laughs> the movie. They would never do that. They have to bury the lead and show you in the preview that it's going to be an alien movie. Yeah. Have like, you ever seen the trailers for Predator? Yes. Okay. Yes. I, I haven't, so I wasn't. I, yes. So I wasn't going to be able to they, speak and that. They, and they do like, some of that. Yeah. But they don't really give you a full view of what it of what it was. And trailers were different then. They weren't many gotcha. many movies yeah. like they yeah. are now. Yeah. You watch trailers now and you go like, why would anybody see, the see that movie? Like it's they're not. Yeah. No one will come through the ceiling. I promise. <laughs> oh. So so that's part of what I'm looking yeah. at is like people aren't willing to take risk and to try things anymore. And I'm like, what has changed in a time where we have the ability to take risk as never before yeah. with the technology that we have. And yet we're, we're over inflating these budgets and, uh, and the things we're getting, I'm like, this is not what, like the CGI is not yeah. great. This, yeah. this, this editing's not like how, where did you spend yeah. your $400 million on this movie? Cause I don't see it. Yeah. And that's where I'm going. Like what has happened from then to then? The last, then to now? the last couple of Marvel movies, except for guardians of the galaxy, right? The last couple of Marvel movies have been oversold. Underdelivered. Yeah, the Eternals. Well, I, I like the Black well, that, Widow. You're going movie. way back. Look, you're going even further back. Yeah, like, that was 2021. Talking, the Eternals no, was the first of like, like everything after that's a dud. 
I, I wouldn't say duds. There's only, there was only one dud in the most recent films, and that was Thor Love and Thunder. Yeah, I heard my mom, who knows like, nothing about that, took my nephews to see it because they wanted to, and her oh, response was, this I, was a stupid movie. She's I like, love, it was a comedy. It I shouldn't have been Taiki a comedy. Watiti, but yeah. But, but well, Thor like, Ragnarok but, was a comedy. Right, but it, it was balanced. Ant-Man was a comedy. Was, right. But they were balanced. Iron Man's like, a comedy. Right. Like, comedy no, works I, in the MCU. Iron no, not Iron Man is Robert Iron, Downey Jr. Iron, Iron Man is, is comedy. It's, it's just Robert Downey, Downey Jr. Jr. being himself. Because if that's but, the case, then Die Hard's but a my comedy. Point, it, Die Hard's a Christmas movie. Right, no, no. But, but my, point, <laughs> my point stands, Nate, that comedy works in the MCU. Absolutely. It being a comedy wasn't the problem. 100%. There was a lot of problems with that movie. In, right, 100%. And the fact that it was a comedy wasn't in, the But I'm problem. saying my mom, who had no no window, has never seen a Marvel movie in her life. That was her response. Was It was just stupid. She did. I'm sure your mother's a lovely woman. Yes. But I, 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 if you if you're not familiar with the whole franchise, your opinion on any now, don't get me wrong, I think that movie is a dud. Everything right. since Eternals has been a dud in my opinion I, I in the MCU. With All that. the movies, right, in the MCU since Eternals. Black does. Widow was great. Black Widow was great. I enjoyed it. Black was that great. before or after? Eternals? That was the first one. It was twenty. It was like sure early twenty twenty one. Black Widow was the first of Phase Four. I'm and I'm pretty sure it's before it came out before Eternals. It did come maybe. Out yeah, okay. everything from Eternals on. I don't know okay. what we're talking about. Have you seen Guardians Guardians of the Galaxy yet? Because uh, okay, so there has been no, this um, super superhero fatigue thing going on, yeah. and I, it's real. Mm-hmm. Like and, it, and and going back to what you're saying, there's a lot of reoccurrences. We get right. it. villain. They want you to to be emotionally attached to him and then they squash him like yeah. like, like over that that's reoccurred and yeah. CGI it, quality has gone down it really has it really money. has um, and with Guardians of the Galaxy and also Natalie Portman is not a good actress <laughs> that's a whole nother debate we can have but um, we'll go that's there that's gonna be another episode yes um, that's fine I'm, I'm gonna push back she cries really well on command yeah I'm gonna push back on a handful of things I have no opinion on this <laughs> I'm going to push it back on a handful of things you've said, Nate, but I, I do want to agree with a couple other things, right? <clears throat> so one of the reasons that big studio production quality has gone down, yeah, in, and this is my assumption, and I bet if we were to look into it, I'd be proven right, is the uh, is DEI diversity hire type stuff. Yeah. Where we're not, we're, we're looking for quotas rather than who's going to do this job best. Yeah. Okay? So all that aside... We still have the issue of, well, diversity hire type stuff, that's really only the last handful of years, and this modern era of cinema goes back a lot further. I think what you're experiencing is a few things. A big one is nostalgia, okay? Mm-hmm. You remember these movies being <coughs> far better than they were. Because you have, like, so for example, um, if you don't see Star Wars until you're an adult, it's Sheldon. not like Sheldon. <laughs> it's not the same cultural juggernaut. It doesn't stir the yeah. same feelings as if you saw it as a kid. If you don't see Rocky until you're an adult, like you're not going to have this conception that it's an incredible sports movie. It kind of sucks. I still haven't seen Rocky. You're not missing anything. Skip it. <laughs> exactly. That's what I was thinking. So I think a big part of it's nostalgia. Rocky Four is my favorite. <laughs> a second. I'm not watching four movies <laughs> to get a good one. A, a second aspect of it is. Um, is quantity over quality. We get several thousand movie releases a year now. Yeah. Whereas before, you'd have a couple. And this is my dad used to make. The, when I first saw Rocky, I was like, Dad, why do people love this? It's garbage. And he's like, you got to remember, that summer, two movies came out. Yeah. Right? That's true. Uh, so that's a big part of it, too. And then and, and here's the what I think is the biggest aspect of this is survivorship bias. 
Okay. Are you familiar with Survivor Series bias? I, I know the phrase, but I cannot call to mind what it All means right, right Is now. Is that that <clears throat> um, reality show with Jeff Probst? On <laughs> yeah, the, the set islands? in World War II. Yeah. Um, so during World War II, the planes would come back from a mission. Yeah. And they'd be all shot to heck with holes all through them. And so the engineers would add uh, plating and guarding on all the spots where the holes were. Yeah. And they then they'd send out ship uh, planes on missions. They'd have the same ratio of loss. And they're still getting bullets in those same spots. They had more and more armor. And eventually somebody had the realization, oh, that's because the ones getting shot in the other spots aren't coming back. Yeah. <laughs> right? So we need to armor the spots where all of the planes aren't having holes yeah. through them. Okay? Right, right. So we, and that's survivorship bias. So the movies that you remember, it's because all the movies that were garbage, you <coughs> don't remember. Right. And that's the biggest thing. For sure. I always say that about hymns. Everybody says, oh, hymns are way better than... You know, then modern worship songs. Like, no, you just had hundreds of years to weed out the crappy ones. That's right. And so you yeah, end you up with all the good ones. Pick up a right. really right. old hymnal. None of those are singable. No, no. There's now, like five singable songs right. yeah. in there. Now, because of the project that Jeff and I have with uh, with Silver Scream Biases, um, and and just because I'm a data wonk, I've been <laughs> like looking and analyzing data on all these different movies, trying to find like any kind of trends as far as production stuff goes. Right. There's this bizarre thing that happens if you look at movies per decade. And as you would imagine, just because of quantity of movies per decade, you have a, a like a pretty like a, a trending graph that is is somewhat exponential. But for whatever reason in the fifties, it's a huge spike that we don't come back to until the two thousands. Okay. So we have fifty spending in movies? No, no, no. Number movie, of movies movie in output. the IMDB top two fifty. Okay. Right? So these are movies that like the majority of IMDb's user base agree are incredible movies. Yeah. And then if you actually go into that decade, it's actually like almost half of them are from a single year in 1950s. Mm -hmm. It's like 1958, I think. There's like 10 movies from that year that are in the IMDb top 250. That doesn't make sense. Yeah. And and so like, why is that? I still haven't figured that out yet. Like, I, that's something... You will get to the bottom of this. I will get to the bottom of this. I'm looking into the history. I'm looking like, what's changing? <laughs> Um, He's gonna Malcolm Gladwell the crap out of this. <laughs> what happened in the fifties? I I would assume it has a lot to do with um, I and this is me shooting from the hip. I think it has a lot to do with in that year we have a lot of movies that are about experiences from World War II and people that are that are now ready to digest that again. Yeah. I think mm. that's probably what we're seeing. I I would actually say two things about that cuz I've I've considered that myself. Because there are, there are movies from the 30s and 40s that I love. I mean, obviously Casablanca is a classic. There's there's certain movies like that from that era beforehand that are phenomenal and that people would agree are phenomenal. However, once you hit that 50s era, you get two guys that revolutionize what it means to act in a film. In Brando and in um, James Dean. They bring a raw, real quality to what they're doing acting-wise, and you lose this weird New England-y affect that every actor has at the time, you know, beforehand. All of a mm. sudden, somebody's talking like you would hear somebody talking on the street. Somebody is, is inflecting and emoting in the way that you would actually see them in real life. And I feel like that kind of turned the whole thing on its head in terms of we're allowed to do this in front of a camera now. We've figured out how to go from acting on a stage to acting for the camera 
and acting for an audience in a theater. And so I think part of that is where that change happened. I think there was a dramatic shift in what actors were doing and what they were allowed to do in making a movie. Yeah, it's uh, so in the 1950s was On the Waterfront, which is Marlon Brando. Yeah. Uh, so actually, I, I'm i only going to talk about this a little bit because actually this is the episode, On the Waterfront is the episode that Jeff and I are recording tomorrow night. Tomorrow okay. night. And it's also our first Brando movie since we started the project. We're doing kind of a rebrando. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so I, I do know from, you know, what I've been researching and stuff on this movie, but and we'll probably talk about it more tomorrow night, Jeff. And that episode will come out in two weeks, so... Um, but uh, Marlon Brando uh, was one of the first method actors. Yeah. Um, one of the first method actors to really make it in Hollywood. And um, a lot of movies before the 50s, uh, the, it was just stage acting in front of a screen, right? Right. Um, they were projecting, they're over, overacting. Overacting. But that doesn't explain why, if you take out the 50s, the exponential curve can, like yeah. stayed steady. Why would it suddenly stop in the 60s? That doesn't make sense. Now, Marlon Brando had about a decade of duds before he blew back up with Godfather. Right. Um, but it, that, I don't know. I feel like that still doesn't explain. Right. What What was it about the 50s that was so I, special? I think I think it would have had to have been just a. a a conglomerate of things. I mean, that you know, technology had innovated. Color was suddenly a thing that you were going and seeing in movies. There were all these things that suddenly made it much more visceral, and then everybody yeah. got tired of it, and well, they wanted to move on to other. Interestingly, things. on the waterfronts, black and white. Yeah, right. For like, sure. In fact, most of the ones from that year are black and when white. Did TVs become a thing too? Because like television did, was the 1950s. Okay, was so it like, really took off. So were more people staying in homes and watching their shows? Their you know, but that like, still doesn't answer. What, like that would explain a sudden jump that trend and that trend continues. It doesn't wait, explain. Wait, you're confused on why pe- why movies disappeared from the '60s. Why, when you're looking at the best movies in cinema history, yeah. why do we have a spike in one decade in the '50s that that defies the trend right. and then continues? And in fact, even more bizarre because as we talked about the quantity of movies per year has exponentially increased. Mm. That means of the movies that came out that year, which were very few compared to today, how many of them were bangers, right? Just like incredible movies that here we are 60 years later, yeah. 70 years later, and people are like, no, that's one of the best movies ever made. It's wild. Mm. Hmm. I, I'm, I, this has got my brain, this is not where I thought we'd go, but yeah. I've got my, my brain's going all kinds of places. Even like, you know, you could even, in the Western world, you could almost clock the 1950s as the invention of the teenager. As well, I mean, obviously, teenage no, people existed, yeah, yeah. but like that idea of yeah. teenage independence—I've got a car, I'm going out, I'm doing these things, I'm doing my own thing. I'm when that was kind Ford of and Ferrari set, too. Jeff? Do you remember it, when it was it set? Yeah, I do not. It's got to be in that time frame. Because, I liked Ford versus Ferrari. That yeah, and that's a big plot point of that movie: is we have the first generation of teenagers with cash in their pocket, right? We need to make a car for them. Right. Right. And so I think it was I think it was probably a cultural, you know, just a cultural overall cultural phenomenon. You know, that, you, that you had the it, yeah. you were you were you know, you were post the greatest generation. You know, you're you're seeing a whole new whole new economy, a whole new lifestyle in America. Everything's changing. Rock and roll has happened. The revolution overall has begun. And so I would say that would probably have been the linchpin that started where we are now. So it was an explosion, explosion because it was a revolution in the moment. Um, 
I think the 80s had some of that quality again where where you can see that with your you know with your Star Wars obviously that was 70s as well but Star Wars Indiana Jones you're seeing some of these things came out that come out that Top became Gun yeah that became icons um, and I think that's the thing that I'm that I'm asking when I talk about movies and whether or not movies suck so I'm that's, sitting here that's it by decade I can I can send that to yeah, you so there's you can a put huge in your spike Instagram. in the 50s it's a wild spike yeah yeah but I'm I'm going to I'm going to bet money of spikes. and then I and then I would also bet money that that's why you see a drop in the 60s is because you get all these counterculture kids who are like no 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 reject uniformity reject the norm reject anything corporate we're going to you know we're going to go out and and all get naked at Woodstock instead and get high like it it the 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 mentality shifted severely into the 1960s. Yeah, it was 57 had uh, six movies in the IMDb Top 250, yeah. and you wouldn't get that high again until uh, 1995-ish, yeah. uh, which actually had a year that we had eight. Yeah. So, like, it's, it's just bizarre that we have these... Which were bordering on things like Titanic and some of these massive, innovative things that are going to start coming out yeah. post that era. But... <sighs> I, I, I think this is part of the issue. And, and I, I've been thinking about your uh, assertion about Titanic. Uh, I believe that was in – or was that – that wasn't you. That was, that was your guest uh, yeah. on the previous oh, episode yeah, that yeah. we were on where he yeah. talked about – And I have, Stephen I have, Kent. I've come to realize I, I actually agree with him. Titanic was a brilliant movie. Yeah. And, and that's one I will give James Cran- Cam- uh, Cameron a lot of credit for because it brought something that most of the world didn't care about anymore, brought it back to the national uh, – well, really the wor- worldwide <laughs> view, and did it in a way that – put some sugar on it so that people would accept it yeah. and and got a lot of his history very right and really did it right um and that that's a visually stunning oh movie. it's and like it still it's, is it holds up so it's a well big movie there yeah. are those moments where you go man that's early cgi and it looks really good for early cgi but for the most part you're just you're immersed in it and you're there that's i'm not a huge fan of that movie but like james horner with that with that comp with oh that, yeah with brilliant. that soundtrack brilliant is a great soundtrack yeah. So, yeah, and I'm, I'm sorry. My heart will go on is a song that if I'm on the if I'm listening to the radio and it comes on, I'm not going to skip it. No. I'm going to listen to Celine Dion do that I, thing. I remember. Okay, you're a music guy, Nate. Shall yes, sir. Okay, actually, we're all we're all music adjacent. I've heard of a music before. Yeah. Thank so, you, Terry, I was at a concert one time, and I was I was either help. I w- they were either I was watching them do pre-production. They were setting up, and the sound guy, his song of testing the house yeah was that song oh yeah because it has all these mellows and then it builds Huge, up yeah and i'm just like you've redeemed this song for me because like that was the one song on the soundtrack that i i would skip over the titanic soundtrack that's my least favorite i didn't hate yeah. it but it was overplayed at the right. time but then when he played that and i heard that in a big concert like venue i'm like yeah oh this is massive so yeah it was, by the by the time yeah. i'd gotten bored with that song i found out that the track or the vocal track that Celine Dion did for that was her demo track. The what? first time she'd ever sung that song. That was her demo track. And it was so good that like, no, 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 we're going to keep this. That's it. And she did it. I think she did it in one take. That even, would be surprising. Which is insane. Have you heard the Me First and the Gimme Gimme's cover of it, though? Oh, what is with you in covers? No, I have not. Punk rock cover. What's not oh, the I have not, but gosh. I've heard Good Charlotte cover it. Yeah. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. They did a, they did a whole album of movie covers. And it was, it's deliciously horrible. Have you horrible. heard that, Nelson? Yeah. Okay, it's it's deliciously horrible. It is. It's everything it is, you'd I hope like it would good be. Charlotte, but I, it basically, I'm not a cover guy. It basically I, sounds like a bunch of high schoolers in the locker room after a football game singing off. the songs and goofing off. That's <laughs> what it sounds like, and it's wonderful. It's wonderful. Oh, wow. But um, but I do. I've, I I have a very high estimation of that movie. That was that was a yeah. formative movie for me. It was it was incredible. And when you see some of the original film 
or the original cuts that they were going to do and the decisions that were made to fix yeah, it. Right. It was brilliant. It was yeah. brilliantly done. Good choices were made. Yeah. Great casting. Um, obviously, it took Leonardo DiCaprio and put him on a whole different it level. Did. It did. Um, I still like him most in What's Eating Gilbert Grape. Great movie. I've not. Great movie. His, it's a phenomenal performance by him. Yeah, he I really mean, absolutely phenomenal. Down. He was great. Um, but I still, yeah. Uh, I see. Sorry. I see what you did. That. I, got, thing, I just got that. That's the only that. thing I know about that movie. Yeah. <laughs> I love that you just brought. For for those of you who are just listening, which is everyone but us, mm-hmm. uh, Sheldon just brought Nelson, one of my daughter's pink mermaid uh, cups, yeah. to drink out of, and I'm very happy about I it. I feel very dainty. This yes. is nice. <laughs> but I don't know. I, I'm still coming back to. I I don't see. I don't see the risks. I don't see. Oh. Uh, well, yeah, that's what I wanted to address because I and, I, and the I rebels like that's the thing I love so much, and I will always give props to George Lucas. Yeah, he was bucking the system. Yeah, he yeah. took risk with his own money. Yeah. He basically nearly destroyed his life yeah. to make Star Wars as a franchise with, happen. With hundreds of movies coming out every year, how many of those are happening, and we just don't know. But we would know. No, That's the thing. You Star wouldn't. Wars. I the thing know. is, Star Wars was a nothing movie. It was not going to be anything. Nobody thought it was going to be a thing. And in a and in, in a decade when sci-fi movies were everywhere, yeah. bad B sci-fi movies were everywhere. Flash with, Gordon ripoffs. With, which yeah, this with, was going to be with horrible. We're going to just use a synthesizer to make our laser sounds and all of our things. And this is what I'm going to come down mm. to in the end. This is kind of what I've decided. It's really good. Thank Star you. Wars. I think was was the thing that really started the trend on a lot of this. Because what Lucas did and what Lucasfilm did, which actually at the time I think it was LucasArts, I don't even think it was Lucasfilm right. yet, was they're like, we are going to create everything. Every sound you hear, other than the Wilhelm scream, they created. Ben Burt actually went out and figured out how do I get this particular sound that I have right. in my head? You know, and and you know, hitting things and recording them and doing Darth Vader's foley breathing work. through it. all this foley work, pre pre production. Like these are the sounds. This is what this is going to sound like. This is the, and and they created it all. They created raw these banks of things, and then put them into this movie, and they became these iconic things. We've yeah. never heard this before, but man, it matches so well what we're seeing. This is what it. You know, yeah. this the the lightsaber sound, which is this ubiquitous sound now, or a specific Star Wars laser being shot. Like, you know what these sounds are. Culturally, mm-hmm. even if you've never seen these movies, yeah. they're gonna be familiar to you. And so we went from that, and you see the same thing in Indiana Jones. You see they've created these things. And and the fact that Indiana Jones has a specific punching sound that is distinctly Indiana Jones. You don't hear that punching sound anywhere else. My son has just started watching these movies, and now he's starting to make that sound when he throws a punch. <laughs> and I'm like, dude, I know exactly, and I hear it in your voice and your inflection. You're doing the thing. I think there was a creative element that no longer exists because now you just have the bank of sounds. Right. You go and you pull from this digital library or that digital library. You yeah. Now, granted, there's still incredible creative things that are going on. You know, I, I put visual effects artists in the same realm that I would put matte painters back in the day. Yeah. It is an art form and a skill. But I think we've almost gotten to this point where we don't have any risk or skin in the game anymore. It's just money being thrown at a particular thing. Mm. So when it comes to Foley work, you, uh, you couldn't be more wrong. Give me. Um, but again, I consider this separate from Foley work. No, I know, I know. I'm just talking specifically about the Foley work. Yeah. That goes back to radio. Yes. And uh, Foley artists are still in very high demand. Absolutely. And 
and they're not just drawing from banks of pre-recorded stuff. Absolutely. They, they are, in fact, usually what they're doing is they're watching it and making the sounds live, right. like live recordings. It's it's incredibly impressive. It's something I wanted to do when I was a kid. I was like, this is the best thing ever. Yeah. So it, it's, it's they're very much still doing that stuff. 100%. You know, like breaking celery stalks for broken bones and things. Yes. Um, and recording animals to get, ju- and, and then distorting it to get just the right monster sounds. All that stuff's still happening. Yes. Um, and and I think more kind of like what you're talking about is scope and scale, uh, uh, like these dream big type things. And and that stuff is still happening, like uh, everything everywhere all at once, right? Which was uh, a lot of people didn't see. It's a uh, it's a indie movie, yeah. incredible scope and scale, done on a budget and an incredible story. But then even from the big budget um, production houses, you know, the Dune movies are like uh, we've only got one so far, but like scope. It's incredible, and but they this, really. And but they, this is not new. Dune, they're taking a pre-existing yeah. entity yeah. and saying we can do it better now. Let's do it better. No, that's fair. And and and, and, right. and that's but, what I'm seeing is the attempt now the, is recycle. Like let's let's do more Star Wars. Let's do more Indiana Jones. Let's do these things. And I'm like, yeah. where is the icon that we are going to have? From this era, this generation, where like this started here, and in thirty years, our kids are going to be talking about yeah. that particular character that was created when they were a child, or when it so, doesn't exist. So I'll, I'll say a couple things. Um, Bond, right? Bond is just constantly recycled stories, absolutely new actors, and and so many of those are iconic. Most of the iconic movies we cover in the top two fifty are are based off of books. A lot of them are at are, are second adaptations, like. I, I get what your point is, but that's not unique to this time. Right. But those um, are genre hops. As opposed to as opposed to like Bond is not. But going from something that was a book to a film or that was a play to a film. I I'm I'm saying you're changing your genre a little so bit. There But I hear what you're there, saying, Nelson. Are, I do understand yeah, what you're saying. There are some TV shows that are doing things that are affecting culture. Yes. Stranger things. Yes. Stranger things. I would agree. And even even the haircuts from Peaky Blinders, people yeah. didn't watch it, yeah. but yeah. they started getting the haircuts. Absolutely. Yeah. Because they were iconic right. and, and But why is that? Why are we seeing these things in television and not in movies anymore? Okay, well, so that's a better question. I like that. It's I don't a, think it doesn't exist in entertainment. No, it's don't but, get me wrong. But it's a better and different question. In fact, when we were on so Jeff and I were on Libertarian Christian Institute podcast as that's guests. A, nice, that's a big that's a big title. Nice plug. Yeah. <laughs> um and flexing. that was one of the questions that Doug Stewart was asking us is like, do you guys prefer movies, television? Do you see big differences there? Um, the modern streaming era gives writers, directors um, opportunities that they didn't have with classic television. Right. And they didn't have with with movies. A, a episode can be as long as the director feels it needs to be. Yep. That's uh, true. And a season, or an art can follow a duration as long yeah. as they want. And to a season follow. can be as many episodes as the director feels it needs to be. Yeah. And so there, it allows them to really fine tune the storytelling. Yeah. Um, now, as far as like your point about new things, and I, I want to go back to the James Bond thing and the Indiana Jones is actually the perfect example of what I think is a big problem of modern cinema. Okay. Um. So the Star Wars sequel trilogy, yeah, um, it's got all kinds of problems, but that they would even do a sequel trilogy really kind of shows us like they kind of out of ideas. Yeah, you know, Mandalorian, uh, Ahsoka coming out looks great. 
Bad Batch, a lot of Star Wars content is phenomenal. Yes, but not the movies. But not the movies. Indiana Jones uh, 4 and 5, <clears throat> excuse me, commercially unsuccessful. And I think that the parallel, the, the, the drawing a distinction between Indiana Jones and James Bond specifically really kind of paints the, the picture here. Lucas intended Indiana Jones to be an American James Bond. Yeah. In that new actors would pick up the mantle, right. constantly telling stories. And instead, because of the nostalgia factor, mm. they just keep using Harrison, Harrison Ford. Ford. Right. And it, that doesn't work. Right. You need another young guy. Right. Chris Pratt would have been a phenomenal Indiana Jones. Chris Pratt, I think Donald, like, I, I, so I used to do this joke where I'd tell people that and then say, who would you cast? And after they go through a bunch of white guys and say, I'd cast uh, <laughs> Oprah, Oprah Winfrey. Yeah, you did that to me on our, on our podcast. Because <laughs> I not wanted racist, to smack you for it. Yeah, <laughs> I'm not sexist and racist like some people. Yeah. Um, no, I, 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 and I think that, so I think a lack of new ideas is a big one. Were you going to say that Donald Glover could play? I think Donald Glover would make a great Indiana Jones. I would agree. Yeah, but you'd yeah, have to. But the that. thing you'd have with to make that, it, the context work. You'd have you'd to, have to put him in a different era. Well, then they'd have to bring Harrison Ford back so they could do a send off. I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> oh dear. I'm, oh sorry. What was this? I was, I was thinking as far you'd as you'd have like, to do like '70s Shaft, right? Um, and it wouldn't, it wouldn't have to be that ridiculous and over the top. No, but, it, but it has, you'd it have to put him in a different era to make it work. Still pulp. Yeah. As far as. As far as culturally, though, we're deriving our characters from TV a lot more than we are movies. Yeah. Think about like yeah. making a murderer when that was a thing. Uh, the Tiger King. Yes. Look at that guy. Yeah. Like, Future president. Everybody. Well, he ran a couple. He ran, he's running again. He's running again. <laughs> <laughs> but it's one of those things. It's like everybody immediately knew who this person was. So culturally, I think we're responding to TV shows right. differently yeah. than we are movies. Right. Yeah. And, and this is where I come back to my and question. I think it's Why because do movies suck? Well, like, what because there? the storytelling is compressed. It's comparative. And and so why we, did... It, you think it sucks compared to television content. Right. Yeah. And, but I still... And the production and I, value of television has gotten right. some... Of, the, of television shows, it's gotten a lot better. Right. And they have the advantage of being able to tell you the whole story, whereas in a movie... You get a fuller story in Lord of the Rings where you sit there for four and a half hours. Right. And you get a fuller story and you're like, man, I feel satisfied. How, how the heck did those movies get made? Like, how did those movies get made at all? They, like, if you really think about the risk that they took, the right. way that they filmed, the fact that Peter Jackson kind of just lied and just kept filming and did it all at once. He had nothing to lose. Exactly. Like, like he, but look at what they yeah, did. Yeah. Like, that's one of the few things where I can look then. at and be like, yeah, The Hobbit should never have been. But no. The Hobbit was a great example. It, you were, took a small story where yeah. you could have done a phenomenal single movie. Yep. Or a series. And you stretched it out to make more money. And, right. Yeah. And I was entertained. Those, those are another ones. Absolutely. I watch them again. They're, right. they're entertainmently right. well. But as far as like true Not to respectful the art, to the, uh, right. no, the I, haven't, I haven't even watched. I, won't, Rings, I, won't I, haven't even, wa I haven't watched Rings of Power. Yet. I won't even it's talk about it. Bad. I won't even talk about it. Um, I, so you're saying, Sheldon, about how television has kind of replaced cinema in a lot of ways for quality of storytelling, for cultural impact, and I think a really big and characters too. I yep. think character, um, even with Star Wars, that's why the TV shows. Like when we're talking about the original Star Wars movie. Yeah. And what is Star Wars trilogy? Yeah. Like, would I go back and watch them versus go back and watch Obi-Wan? I want to go back and watch Obi-Wan again. Yeah. I, I want to go back and watch Mandalorian again. I want to go back. And, and 
I probably will before Ahsoka comes out. It, it's one of those things yeah. like, yeah, I know what happened in those movies, but there was so many subtleties and things that they could pull out in the TV shows. Right. Yeah. Once you have the time to watch it in a series of episodes that right. you just can't do with the one, one of the things I love about the additional content and even one of the things I'll give to the prequels, and I think I said this before, but they've made the original trilogy better. Because there's certain moments that didn't have any meaning. They were just right. saying a line. Specifically But now. <laughs> Dave yeah. Filoni saves yeah. We owe yes. so much. And yes. John yes. Favreau, yeah. too. Yeah. John Favreau's, yeah. yeah. Kathleen Kennedy needs to leave those men alone and let them do whatever they I want. I believe Preach. she's been fired, hasn't she? Has she finally? No. I no. thought I saw something about uh, no. Kennedy's out. I, I hope so. I haven't seen that yet. Um, I want to come back again to what Sheldon was saying. <laughs> because. This is out of character for you. Uh, yeah, well, yeah, I know. Uh, no, so... I remember in our childhood, and all of us are roughly the same age, so our childhood's roughly the same time. If a actor made the jump from TV to movies, they'd yeah. made it. Yeah. But these days, right? You see big name actors yeah. like Pedro Pascal doing doing right. Mandalorian. He's right. doing phone game commercials. Right. Like, like he's, he's not doing just doing everything. He's not just yeah. He's but, doing yes. like but <laughs> he's making the money while yeah. he can. Right. Yeah, I think. And, and by I think the way, talking about on a, that. one that took a risk was the unbearable weight of massive talent. massive talent. Yeah. And it way overperformed what people yeah. thought yeah. it was. Oh, the, yeah. the, so, the, big, so big Nick, risks. Nick Cage. Yeah, yeah. Nick Cage and Pedro Pascal. Yeah. They yeah. killed it. Right. Rin, killed Rinfield it. was amazing. Oh, I want to see that. I Rinfield was great. What is it? Watch discreetly. It's a Nicolas Cage vampire movie. Yeah. So yeah, oh, I, I think Aquafina. What it's actors, a comedy. It's good. Okay. What actors are doing is a good indication of where the market, where the industry's at. Yeah. But I also want to point, like, come back to, and I wasn't intending to get into economics tonight. Give yes, it. Yes, you were. No, I really wasn't. Why don't I, you? I love getting into economics, Jeff. But I wasn't. <laughs> I thought we were just going to talk about movies and stuff. But but um, risk management. Are words that shouldn't exist. Yeah. Together. I'm trying to figure out how I want to start this. Risk management and focus groups are the death of everything. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, because uh, I'm willing to say that. <laughs> do I go? Do I go full anarcho-capitalist with this? <sighs> okay. That's our podcast. I know. I know. I know. <laughs> I want to give people a sample of what they can expect <laughs> if they come. The psychotic rantings. Or a, or a warning one way. Yeah. Okay. So we'll cut you off if we have to. It's okay. That's fine. You can just ring the bell. Um. <laughs> One of the reasons that government works so poorly is because any market it goes into, it monopolizes. Right. And monopolies, which are uh, really can only exist when you have the force of government behind it. If you look through history, you've got right. a lot of example about that, uh, examples of that. Um, monopolies. Anti-monopoly laws are just the government saying, we want to be the only ones that can do that. You can't do that. Almost always the antitrust laws were the government saying, actually, you can't have that monopoly we gave you anymore. Right. Uh, Thomas All J. DiLorenzo writes extensively Absolutely about this. True. Strongly recommend it. The myth of natural monopoly. Google it. Uh, it's in the show notes below, right, Sheldon? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, it is not. Uh, and uh, So one of the big reasons that monopolies are... Uh, bad from an economic standpoint is just because they're inefficient. When you get to a monopoly status, you spend so much energy protecting yeah. your monopoly status. Yep. And one of the biggest ways you can protect monopoly status is safe decisions. Right. Don't rock the boat. Okay. And one of the big reasons, in fact, going back to Ford v. Ferrari, um, they weren't willing to take risks, and that that hurt the Shelby 
uh, racing group a lot. They weren't willing to take these big risks, which is what they were going to need to do. In fact, I think we talk about monopoly status in that movie. Mm. And and corporations, which, I'll, again, don't exist without a government because it's a legal status. Right. Um, corporations, again, taking safe, safe risk. Okay? Yeah. Uh, and so they, they, in their minds, can't afford to take big risk. Uh, in Ford v. Ferrari, there is a scene where a red folder gets passed around before mm, it finally yeah. gets into uh, Ford's hand. And Shelby says to him, you know, that I, I saw that touch 12 hands, and who knows how many hands it touched before I started watching it. And that's something that happens in a lot of corporate structure. Nobody wants to be the person who's responsible for the bad decision. Yeah. And so everybody sanitizes it at every level until eventually you get a, a committee horse that's polished and but not interesting. Yeah. Right. And so I think that's a lot of what we're seeing, especially from big production houses. Yeah. And that's why all the risky stuff is coming from like A24, who, you know, they make a lot of duds, but they make a lot of gems. Yeah. Right. Like Swiss Army Man. Have you seen Swiss Army Man? Have no. you ever even I heard know of the, it? I know the movie. Danny, okay. Danny Radcliffe and uh, uh, is it, Paul is Dano. It, oh, is it Paul, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Incredible movie. Huge risks. Like... Disney, Fox, they're not going to touch this movie. I think it's Fox. I think it might have fallen under Fox Searchlight, but it was an A24 movie. Right. And it's these small production houses that are going to take these big risks. Mm -hmm. I think when we look back at like the 60s and 70s, the big production houses weren't monolithic yet. Right. They were still finding out what this medium even is. Yeah. Right. And so that's why they're taking risks because they're trying to figure stuff out. But I mean, we go back to Jaws, for example. Jaws was a huge risk that they weren't interested in. The yeah. production houses weren't interested in. Um, there's a lot of movies, and actually, talking about risk, Sound of Freedom. Uh, Disney had the rights. They they right. weren't interested. Uh, like, And it traded so many hands. Right. The movie filmed, was filmed five years ago. Yeah. Was it really? Yeah. yeah. Wow. And, and, it's just and it went through so many hands before Angel Studios finally did a crowdfunding to buy it. And So all that to say... The economic factors at a, when you get to businesses of that scale are what cause these safe but actually really bad choices. Yes. So. But the interesting thing to me now, and that's and, why, and I would agree, I would agree completely on where television has brought us and all these things. The problem is, is now that is becoming the precedent. People are realizing that's where the money is, and Disney still owns these properties, and Fox Studios still owns these properties. Like, Fox it's doesn't still exist anymore. right, but you know what I'm saying. Disney yeah. own, Disney owns the, their properties. The enti- yeah, the, <laughs> yeah, but the entities, as it were, like right. you're talking about, the corporations, right. they exist and and are putting these things into the ether, thinking, oh, here's a little place we'll take some risk. Now it's become the money maker. Mm-hmm. So are we going to see a transition now of risk in cinema? Because you're already starting to see some crap stuff coming out in the in the television realm. Boy, howdy! They're they're yeah, starting man. to do this now, where the it's like it's just you're just cranking out garbage now, hoping that it's going to stick to the wall like this happened to that you weren't expecting. Yeah, you know. And as far as we, the f- we are seeing some of the streaming services come out with good movies, right. like Knives yeah. Out. The, oh, the right. Knives Out great. series right. were, yeah. great. were great. Knives we're Out, great. Glass Onion. But again, we're looking back. Yeah, I feel like we're starting to transition into a time where that's going to start changing for the very same reasons that movies have become mm-hmm. a problem. Um, and I think that streaming has something to do with this. I, this had never occurred to me before, but I was watching Matt Damon do an interview on uh, Hot Ones, uh, Hot Ones interview, yes. and he was talking about Sean Evans. Somebody, at the, yeah, he asked him specifically. He said, "What has not having DVD sales anymore really is a factor? How has that affected?" 
writers, like because as an actor and as a writer, he's like, this has been huge because now we have to make all of our money in the cinema alone. Yeah. Whereas before, you knew if you had some struggles, at least we're gonna become a huge, you right. know, just dist- video distribution. We're gonna see that huge that bump after push. the fact, oh. so we could afford a little more risk. Studios would take more risk because they're like, you know, this may not do well in theaters right now, but we know that there's a a home video market for this. We know people are going to buy the, the buy the tape or buy the DVD. That does not exist anymore. But that's streaming money now. But it's but streaming money is not the same. No. And where no, it's because with streaming that the, from the production standpoint, if we're making a movie, we sell it to Netflix or we sell it to Disney Plus or whatever, and that is the only money we get on that. Right. You get right. the purchase. Okay. And they right. get the residuals because right. it's on their platform. Right. And so he was talking about how that ch- has changed the risk factor for making movies because that's what you get. You get your one shot, mm. and so they're not going to take the same risk that they once did. And that was mind-blowing to me um, because you even think about a movie like Goodwill Hunting would never be made at the scale that it was made today. Right. It just wouldn't. Unless it was a TV show, like so they would do a TV show of that, but but no studio is going to get behind that because like who's going to care about this story? It's just some punk kid and him going to therapy. Nobody cares about this story. We're not <laughs> doing that. Like that that doesn't work well with our focus groups. We're not right. doing that. But it was amazing, and you know kudos to Robin Williams because I mean he made that movie in a lot yeah. of ways. They were all great. Yeah. It was well written, and we can all pretend like. Uh, uh, ben Affleck actually had something to do with that writing. I'm not so sure he actually did. <laughs> I love the Family Guy thing where he's literally sitting on the couch not contributing anything while Matt Damon's over there typing furiously away, creating the the script to it. Uh, So what's the road back to risk? I don't know. That's my big question. You know, the the risks that you saw in the 80s, things like Jaws, things like Indiana Jones, Star Wars, they were risks that were demanded by guys like they were willing to fight and risk everything to take that risk. And put everything on the line for it. I don't see that now. Um, you see guys like there, Nolan. There are some people taking risks. Like Black Mirror took risks. Right. And they, they did right. well. It was more independent but these, through but BBC But these were things that, that kind of surprised thing, people just like those did. And these are not movies. Right. This is, t- this is TV. Yeah. This I think, is the, I think but, we need to come back with, to survivorship bias, though. But with all the movies... Yeah, exactly. There, with all the movies that are coming out, there's a bunch that we're missing that we're not talking about. In right. this conversation, but nobody and also, was. But nobody how, was not talking about Star Wars. Nobody yeah. was not talking about Indiana Jones. Like everybody, yeah. nobody was not talking about The Godfather. Right. But back to survivorship bias. How many Star Wars came out that year, and Star Wars was the only actual Star Wars? You know, like how many yeah. high risk movies came out, right. and all of them stunk. Right. Yeah. Right. Right. So, and and again, so, I know it's a coalescing of several things. I mean, yeah. You you subtract John Williams' score. From Star Wars, it doesn't work. It goes away. Yeah. It, it, we don't know anything about it, not at all. And Industrial Light and Magic, right? Right. There's all kinds of things that we lose out on and that wouldn't have been had it not been for all the things, all the stars aligning at the at the right moment. I get that, but there was still massive risk that went along with these, and mm-hmm. and and we saw these icons created. Have you have you seen like the most recent Jordan Peele movies? Cause like like which tra- ones? I'm trying to think of like directors that are doing stuff that are atypical. Um, For his, sure. Like his, Nope or... Nope was Get his out. most recent one. Get, Get Out. out. And then yeah. there's the... I can't remember. I can never remember the, the middle yeah. one. But Nope Nope was great. And yeah. it, was, it was not something I'd ever seen before. And it was a fresh... Yeah. It wasn't from a book. It wasn't a remake. Like, For like, sure. There are like... There is original but, content that but still the comes most out. Most of what is selling is, you know, I mean, to take it back to scripture, there's nothing new under the sun. Right. And... and 
big budget people are making money from of it. Right. The stuff that's just being redundant. Right. I think a big aspect of this is just the quantity of content we get today. So, for example, Weird Al Yankovic's biopic. Yeah. Huge risks. Yeah. Incredible movie. Most people I know haven't seen it and didn't know it came out. Yeah. Right? Like, it, it, and it's just because there's so much coming out, yeah. it, it, you can't keep up with it all. Right. One advantage our show has is that we only have to pay attention to the best of the best, right? Yeah. yeah. But so much comes out that that is incredible and gets no eyes on it. Right. Or gets tons of eyes on it and sucks. Yeah. And and I th- and I think it's just a matter. So, uh, you got you're into music. I'm sure you remember, like with uh, you, you, like we kind of grew up in the internet age when the with the advent of internet, and a lot of bands complained about the competition that yeah. things like SoundCloud pro- provided, right? Right, Like you, you just can't make an edge in. Uh, YouTube's becoming the same way for, for, for a lot of content creators, right? Like there's, uh, but at the same time, it's entirely eroding the barrier to entry, mm-hmm. right? Like Joel Haver was writing for a, a top tier video game. And if he hadn't been the, the quirky sketches he was putting on YouTube for free, that never would have happened for him. Yeah, you know, it's like I, like I don't know, it's six of one, half a dozen of the other. It it, it, it kind of comes back to like people freaking out about automation. It's like yeah, it's gonna suck for for some people for a short period of time, but it's gonna be better for everybody overall. Yeah. In time. Yeah. I don't know. I, I I guess again, my biggest thing is is where where are the icons now? Like that's that's what I'm kind of looking at. I mean, you're gonna have some of those things that have come from television, you know, The Mandalorian. <laughs> You know, Din Djarin, the character has become an iconic yeah. character that my kids will talk about when they when they get older. Yeah. Uh, you know, Cara Dune will be a character from that series that they're going to talk about as they get older. Stranger Things. Yeah, you're going to see you see some of that, but I but I don't see. I mean, Robert Downey Jr. is a perfect example. Him becoming Iron Man, that was a generationally like universal. Everybody. He is Iron Man. This is what Iron Man is. This is, and it defined a whole genre that yeah. they have now run into the ground. Napoleon Dynamite, for our generation, Hader, became yeah. incredibly quotable. It was a sl- like nobody saw any of that coming. I went to that movie because I didn't know what it was. I saw the first <laughs> I preview. I still don't know what it yeah, is. of him getting pushed into that locker, and they don't tell. <laughs> they didn't tell you anything. It was like yeah, MTV Productions, come see this movie. It's an indie film. And the first time we watched it. Nobody laughed in the whole theater. First the third, time I watched second, it, I thought it was the yeah, dumbest the thing second, I'd ever third, seen. The second, third, fourth I time. I howled laughing the whole time I, I watched that I first laughed time. out I loud. The first time I watched that movie, I laughed out loud at the part where the old man blows out that cow's brains in front of the kids. That was the funny part. I was the part. only person in the theater that <laughs> laughed out loud. Everybody else was just like, <gasps> and I laughed hysterically at that, and I felt like a psycho. But people kept going back, and it became quotable, and everybody knew. You know, you're seeing Vote for Pedro t-shirts, and you're seeing, like, it became culturally ubiquitous. Like, it was... It was huge. Yeah, but again, survivorship bias. For every Napoleon Dynamite, you've got a hundred Cowboys versus Aliens. Yeah, which poor Harrison Ford. No, uh, he was in that. Was he? Daniel Craig and Her- exactly, exactly. I saw it in theaters because <laughs> I, I remember seeing the trailer for it. Yeah, Harrison Ford and Daniel Craig. <laughs> Just as the trailer ends, I said. They've sold their souls, and that got a better reaction from the theater than the trailer did. <laughs> and, and, and again, uh, another one that was a recent, and, and I don't know how you feel about musicals, but uh, I love them. The Greatest Showman. Yeah, incredible. I 
the minute I, I went into musicals. the theater, I went in, and <laughs> that's them. fine. Love I went into that theater expecting a period piece musical. Yeah. And the minute that soundtrack started, I start smiling and I grinned the whole way through <laughs> that. I bought the soundtrack immediately yeah. when we walked out the door. And I even looked at my wife and said, can we go back and watch it again right now? Like, let's just go watch it again right now. Let's just do that. It was it was wholly unexpected, but they fought for that. They took risk for that. Like that's what I'm not seeing is that that is that is so much more rare. I feel like than some of the eras that we've seen previous to this, and so I feel like we're we've lost. And here's what I come down. I, I don't know if this is final word or whatever. I know we're getting a little yeah. Long we can here. give final words. That's but here's fine. but here's my thing. I feel like one of the beautiful things about current technology from a musical standpoint is the advent of what we're doing right now. Computer software that allows anybody to we're, record. We're and part do of this the problem and do well. <laughs> I love this. I love that this is so accessible that the 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 threshold of entry is so low. But I look at something like pitch correction, which is a great tool and has become a massive problem. Yeah. You can literally hear it on the people that it gets used on, and it's funny because uh, um, uh, the Greatest Showman is an example. Um, Michelle Williams is massively auto-tuned, much stronger than anyone else in that cast. And you can hear it every time she does it. And again, I don't know if that was a stylistic choice or if she had just actually had Who pitch is she issues. In that? She's his wife. Oh, okay, okay. Charity. Charity? Yes. And so but here's what's been ha- here's what's been happening. And this is one of the frustrations that I have with like a Taylor Swift, for example. Um, Who's it? Exactly. Uh, and I'm sorry, no matter what anybody's telling you, Taylor Swift has Who's not Taylor reached, Smith? has not reached Michael Jackson's status, and that is absolutely heretical to even She's imply never that. Moonwalked. Yes, that's true too. Uh, there's a lot of other things she hasn't done. Where <laughs> she's more like really that she's more like a Ringo. But here's <laughs> here's my thing. <clears throat> what Taylor Swift sounds like, she sounds like because of the auto tune technology that was being used. There there are affectations and things to her voice. That if you had taken her back pre nineteen ninety seven, where your actual like your Beyonces and like some of these people came from, from that's when it was initiated. Do you think this is this so is here's, true of her early stuff too? Yes, absolutely. Okay. It became industry standard, uh, basically once Cher used it as an effect in uh, yeah in uh, I can't remember the name of that song. Was it Believe? Yeah, yeah. Once like that, it, it was used constantly after that. But it created a, a generation of people who they have sung along to auto-tune tracks to the point where they are trying to emulate something that is not real. Yeah. And so vocal gotcha. tone has changed. Uh, there's no more vocal. like musical pornography, basically. In, in, a, in a sense, or, or some kind of weird, like, like uh, uh, bastardization of what it actually the pure art form is. Yeah. Yeah. And you still have indie artists who are not doing that, who, or who are using it as a tool. They're not using it as a... You know, Justin Bieber's another one, as much as, as, as the man, man frustrates me. And I, I think he's a tremendous talent who's been ruined by his handlers. Yeah. If you listen to his early stuff when it's just him as a kid sitting with an acoustic, whatever, he had genuine talent. Yeah. And they've auto-tuned the crap out of him. They've done all these things where they've taken all the soul out of it. And... and and we've grown up now with a generation who they're trying Ironically, to Ironically, his black handlers took the soul out of his music. Yes, that's true. That's true. Well, Scooter Braun was not black, but but Usher Usher did discover him. Yes. So they've they've taken all the things that made music soulful and made it impactful in that way, and you've lost that. Yeah. And now you're having kids come along and create something that they're trying to emulate something yeah. that has no soul. And it's not that the person who did it didn't, but but where corporate things, I think film has kind of gotten in the same place we've gotten so bloated with with our with our writing staffs and with our 
uh, technology and with all of these things that we've now lost the ability to do anything but emulate something we've seen before, which is why somebody like Christopher Nolan could be so revolutionary because he's going to go back and say, no, 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 technology isn't the solution to everything. We're going we're gonna to use all of it. That's what made James Cameron great. We're going to use all of it. Um, and we're going to find the balances yeah, that make these things Nothing in the Avatars work. movie is CGI. <laughs> it's all oh, real. Yeah. It's all real. It's all real. So, so or I Lord of the Rings. <laughs> when, I, when I come to my whole, again, my, my gross overstatement that movies suck now, I'm like, the, the soul of these things yeah. is what has been lost. Because we're trying to emulate something that was never real to begin with. Yeah. And we've now... And we're we've chasing now, after a false standard. We are. Yeah. And, and I think that's where television, because television had no expectations of it. So like, yeah, you do what you want. And so you have a guy like John Favreau that can come in and understand what he's making. Understand, but be able to say, I respect this. I understand the, the foundation I'm coming from. Here's the story I want to tell. Mm. And, and does it and kills it and knocks it out of the park. Um, you see Christopher Nolan back in the day doing the same thing with the Batman franchise. Obviously that third movie left a lot to be desired because he did not care about the franchise anymore by that point. Yeah, well, he did, but his shining star was gone. Right, it was, yeah. yeah. There were major editing problems with that. Yeah. Anyway, but, uh, and I'll, I'll, obviously I think Heath Ledger, his, his death took the wind out of everybody's sails in terms it, of wanting to do anything it else. It really did. In terms of even the plans. But, yeah. but he was able to take a character that we all knew and you thought to yourself, it's never going to be better than Tim Burton's Batman. And then it comes out. Michael Keaton's, I think you mean? <laughs> well, yes, yes. But they're one and the same. <laughs> Tim Burton's Batman is Michael Keaton, and Michael Although Keaton I would is Tim Burton's Batman. Be interested to see Tim Burton as Batman. Yes, that's also true. <laughs> but but he was able to create something completely iconic that blew right. everybody's minds. Right. With a tired franchise, but a, but brought it to a new a I new generation. It was tired then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so anyway, my my point in case being, I, I I think that there needs to be a reawakening and a rediscovery of the authentic in movie making. I can get down. With it's that. there. It exists. It has these random pockets where it tries, where where the real creatives try to force their way through all the corporate smog that exists, mm. and it happens occasionally. Mm. Um, but I I just don't feel like creative creation for the sake of the art, for the sake of creation, for the sake sake of storytelling exists anymore. And I think what you talked about at the beginning is part of it too. You know, this whole, we're, we're so worried about equity. We're so worried about diversity. We're so worried about these things that we're not concerned about the storytelling anymore. Yeah. Becomes second. <clears throat> so anyway, that's my final thought. I'll let everybody can go around the table and give your last little Sorry, bit again. if you want. <clears throat> oh, final thought. Um, yeah, I, is uh, Y'all look do you need a moment? Yeah, I do need a moment. All right. <laughs> I'm still processing. All right, Sheldon. so this is a whole other can of worms that I'm, I'm going to crack the can open on. Final thought, Nelson. <clears throat> I know. I'm not going to go all into it, and uh, but I'm going to crack the can open on this because this is something that, that Jeff and I are actually going to discuss tomorrow night when we do our, our conversation on, on the waterfront. So tune back in. On July 31st, we'll yes, release that episode. Silver Screen Biases. I think because you you commented on bloated writing staff, and right now we're seeing a writing writers strike in Hollywood, and and now an actors strike in Hollywood, and uh, you know just because of my biases, I'm I'm anti union. Yes, I think as you, am I. I think unions are, for the same reason that monopolies are bad for industries, unions monopolize labor. Monopoly unions are bad for industries as well, and I think that if these strike goes the way I think it's going to go, which is not in the favor of those on strike, I think that's going to be a really 
big boon mm-hmm. to the to the industry. You know, these people are all creatives and they want to create, but what they don't realize is that the unions really uh, hamstring them on being able to really cut free and, and take risk and be creative. Right. I think that. Right. I, I and I didn't it. I didn't connect that until you mentioned bloated writers staff. I think that's a huge piece yeah. of this puzzle. Yeah. yeah. That was a very good job of just cracking that and, that was, and not yeah. going to. I, I approve of everything that's you just good. said. That was good. Good, good man. Uh, Unfortunately, it all got edited out in post. <laughs> <laughs> there is that. Um, so I, as someone who's not super critical about film, I, I do agree with what's been said here. I do agree. I, I, I've gotten that fatigue with redundancy. Yeah. I as much as I love James Gunn, I'm not happy that he's rebooting the DC franchise again. Like right. I just wanted consistency. Just like we'd want in our families, just like we'd want in our relationships. I just want consistency. And some just some places you're not getting that or some you're getting like too consistent reboots. Like just yeah. too many consistent changes like you're expecting it. Nelson just had a panic attack. Um but just I there's not been many. There's not been many films that I've let the theater disappoint in, but I have had those experiences of like I've been here before. Yeah, and I would, and there's, and because now with the podcast Nelson and I are doing, I haven't been watching too many movies. For, I, I haven't non-critically, non-critically. Yeah, but um, Renfield was one recently where I just, I my wife and I just watched it. And we're like that was refreshing. I yeah. didn't know what to expect. It was it was campy, but like I. But it was I, supposed to be. Dracula is not anything new, but like this telling of it was was great. And like and I and I did realize as we're talking, I was like, there's I haven't watched many movies where I had no expectations going in. Yeah. Modern modern movies. Right. I, uh, right. Some of the ones we watch that are older for our podcast, I have no expectations because I have no clue what they're talking right. about. But with modern, like there's not many that I don't have an expectation going in. And some of these, and I, I've intentionally tried to do with some of our stuff and then I can end with this. I try not to watch the trailers before yeah. many of the movies going into our podcasts that I haven't seen before. Now, some like Ford vs Ferrari. I, re- I remember when that came out in theaters, like right. I was like, okay, I've already seen the trailer. I'm going to watch that just to before. I, watch. I, just, I just like it. But there are some movies where, um, Clockwork Orange was one. Um, there's another one. I can't remember what I was off the top. But like Die Hard. I, die, no. Like where I just like I literally push play on the movie and I have you not watch it. And that was enjoyable. Even if the movie stunk. Yeah. I was like, I liked going in knowing nothing. Right. And I think even trailers, even even pre-movie marketing can be so oversaturating. Right. That we've seen enough of the movie. Oh, um, real quick and then I'll fit this the last Star Wars movie. When they teased Palpatine coming back for episode nine. Yeah. In the trailer. Yeah. It was one thing, whether you agree or disagree, that he came back in general. Right, right, but, right. Like, but to put that in the trailer, you're exactly. just like... I've That's s- like putting I've Luke, I am your father in right. the trailer, which is not the line I know. Right. But, it's, but yeah, I just like, I think all the stuff leading up to the movie can be more anticipatory than actually getting to the movie and then just going, oh, okay, that was it. Yeah. Like, so yeah, I just, I want something new out of cinema. I don't know what that is. Yeah. My hope is that my question yeah. will keep you all up at night yeah. for a little while because it's been keeping me up at night a little bit. This is I know you don't lose sleep over anything, Nelson. He Sheldon, I've just my own mortality. <laughs> I've really enjoyed this. Did you have something that you wanted to add? I did. An epiphany. I did. So Jeff commented uh, remakes of remakes. In 1971, Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory came out yes. starring Gene Wilder. Then in 2005, <laughs> Charlie and the Chocolate Factory starring Johnny Depp came out. 
And in December this year, Wonka comes out starring Timothy Chalamet. Which is a prequel to the 70s one. Right. The gap between the first two was 34 years. The gap between the second two is 18 years, which is a reduction of roughly 47%. And following this trend, we'll have a new Wonka movie in 2032, 2037, 2040, 2041. And then by March of 2042, we'll have a new Wonka movie every five minutes. I will say, I will say of that, I greatly enjoy both of those Wonka movies. I only totally, like the first one. But I like them for totally different reasons. I grew up with the musical. Gene loved it. Love Gene it. Wilder is brilliant in everything he does. Yes. Then I had the books read to me in third grade. Mm-hmm. Loved them. Mm-hmm. What I loved about the ones with Johnny Depp is they were much truer to the book. Right. And so I had, would been I had nostalgia yeah. attached to that because it reminded me of the books that yeah, I'd read as yeah. a child. Yeah. I love Roald Dahl books. Yeah. 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 And so anyway, all that to say... Sheldon, do you have final thoughts? No, I'm actually yes, go good ahead. with you all were, of this. This has been were, a wonderful conversation. Yeah. And I'm I'm good I'm good with all of it. Yes. I couldn't um, more strongly I'm a bit, disagree. I'm a little <laughs> bit like <laughs> I'm a little bit like Jeff. I don't watch things critically. i yeah. I just want to have a good time when I watch a movie. I don't and, want to, I just can't help myself. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I'm not I'm too. not weird about it like you guys. Yeah. I acknowledge that, <laughs> but yeah, I'm more normal, yeah. like Jeff. Just, just no give... one's ever called me that. <laughs> there you go. That's that's your gift for being on for this everything. podcast. Yes. Well, guys, I really appreciate you coming on, Absolutely. and we're happy to plug Silver Screen Biases. I'll give you that link well, in in the show plug? notes. Yeah, yeah. Oh, and uh, thought, okay. and yeah, if if you want to talk back to the things we say, you just email us at the things we say at mail.com. There you go. Uh, our Twitter and Instagram is at TTWS podcast and you can look us up on Facebook. The things we say podcast, um, is on there. So, and I'm trying to get us up again on Spotify. If you want to share it with your friends, make sure you do that through Google podcasts or Apple podcasts. Currently, that's probably the most, uh, uniform way of doing that on either phone that you're listening on. Um, but yeah, there you go. All right. Well, Thank you guys for listening, and uh, we'll catch you later. Amen. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. And we're out. Thanks for joining the conversation today. The Things We Say is produced by Nate Ward. Technical direction is provided by Sheldon Stauffer. You can subscribe to The Things We Say on SoundCloud and iTunes. Don't forget to like us on Facebook at The Things We Say Podcast to keep the conversation going. This has been The Things We Say. See you next time.